I'm Janelle Present, your host of All About Supporting Philanthropy, a podcast where we get to drill down into what Advancement Services is and why it's so important for philanthropy. Today, we're going to explore the topic of mentorship with Wayne Combs. Wayne is the Associate Vice President of Operations and Administrative Services at Chalk Children's Foundation and has worked in fundraising for almost 30 years. Prior to his career in fundraising, he spent 25 years working in higher education at institutions such as UCLA, USC, and the University of Washington. And he currently teaches courses on creativity and innovation, strategic communications and change management, and economics and finance for the doctoral program at the USC Rossier School of Education. Wayne also serves as the Vice President of the AASP Board of Directors and is an active volunteer with AASP. Thank you, Janelle. How would you explain or define mentorship for someone who has never been exposed to it before? The way that I would explain mentorship is that it is a relationship between two individuals. And um, there is a bit of an organic nature to it. But there's also some purposeful actions that you as an individual seeking a mentor uh, should probably consider. So typically when we are seeking a mentor, we're seeking help from somebody that has more experience or is more advanced in an area of interest. So, I mean, typically we think of this as a professional concept, but I have a friend who is a belly dancer and she has a mentor who is very skilled at that and, and is helping her understand the, the skills and techniques associated with that. So what I want to be sure that I, um, I, I express is that mentorship is not restricted to professional uh, um, pursuits. So that being said, what you would want to do is, um, you know, you want to consider how you're being perceived by people in your setting, people that are more advanced or more um, skilled than you are. And do you represent somebody who invests in yourself, who uh, takes the initiative to learn things and grow on your own? Are you somebody that's proactive about your own skill development and enhancement? And what we find in these settings is that those individuals who are more advanced or more experienced that are more likely to be involved in a mentorship experience are going to be people that respond to that. They're going to be people that notice that. And they're going to be people that kind of, they lean in on us. They, you, they'll go, hey, you know, maybe you should consider this. Did you ever take this course? Have you been involved in a workshop on a certain topic? They may also begin to to pay more attention to what you're doing and give you more opportunities to grow. Like maybe they ask you to be on a task force. Maybe they want you to be involved in a project that's happening. That's your clue that somebody has noticed you, but not just noticed you, somebody that has the potential of being a mentor, somebody who kind of already has that kind of profile, that way of considering 
that kind of a role because you can't force somebody to be a mentor, but there are mentors all around you. You just don't necessarily know it because it's not revealed to you because you're not operating in a way that they recognize is a value to them to invest in you. So I think it's first and foremost, represent someone that a mentor would want to invest in. That's the first key. Be somebody that's proactive about their learning and development in the setting you're in, typically work. Be the person that proactively requests for um, opportunities to invest in new areas or take on new projects. Be that person and then watch to see who in the environment kind of recognizes that and starts to spend more time with you. And that's somebody that actually, you know, represents potentially somebody that could be a mentor for you. Not always. Mentor and mentee relationships are very unique. Uh, there's also how much affinity do you have with them? Do you have common ground? Do you have shared experiences? Do you come from similar backgrounds? Because ultimately, it's a relationship beyond skill building and experience development. Ultimately, you know, you're going to be friends for life. That is, you know, pretty much what typically happens. Or sometimes it's for a period of years or decades. But, you know, typically it's a, it's a long period of time. And so in order to grow in a relationship like that, it needs to be more than work-related, more than the experience that you're having jointly in that initial setting. And so what I would say is, as you identify that person, that's kind of showing you more attention and taking you into account, ask them if they want to go out and have coffee. If, you know, it's hard when they're superior to do that, you, you know, you kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable, but maybe you could say, hey, thank you so much for letting me be involved in this project. You know, I really appreciate it. And share a little bit about why you appreciate it. Touch upon your past, where you grew up or something. Start to bring other conversational elements or narratives into your conversation with that individual to see if they respond. They start responding to those narratives. Then you can start to anticipate that maybe a mentor-mentee relationship is starting to develop. And that's kind of, those are kind of the touch points that you're looking at. Ultimately, to acquire a mentor, it requires some level of proximity. It could be virtual, given the current circumstances. Typically, it's about individuals that are in your setting in some way. Like I said, whether it's professional or whether it's something of a personal pursuit. And as the relationship develops, what happens ultimately is that through your effort to take their advice, take their opportunities, and develop yourself, you begin to show how that knowledge and experience can develop in new ways and create new outcomes. And the mentor starts to become fulfilled through the relationship for themselves as well. They start to learn through you. They start to grow through you. You know, some ways you could consider this as an apprentice uh, if you want to look back in time at other similar types of relationships. But a true mentor is someone who, who gives in order to also to get something out of it. I mean, it's a two-way relationship in its, in its best sense, in the sense that I'm investing in you, and by seeing how you take that investment and you develop yourself and expand your knowledge, I 
I get insight. I learn something about maybe myself or about the knowledge that I'm providing to you and the opportunities I'm providing to you. I learn something through that. And that two-way, that binary kind of translation of experiences and knowledge and Ultimately, there's joyful moments because there's insights that you share, epiphanies that you have that really kind of bring you closer together and, and develop that ultimate and ideal mentoring relationship. It's really inspiring to hear Wayne's explanation of how both mentees and mentors are able to benefit from mentoring relationships. To build on his previous comments, there is definitely an advantage to allowing mentoring relationships to grow organically. Though sometimes that may not be an option, or perhaps circumstances may prove difficult for cultivating an organic relationship. Additionally, there are various types of mentorship programs that may be available to us. Whether you're working through cohorts of assigned pairs or have a perpetual list of contacts to choose from and request to form a mentorship pair, a mentoring relationship is attainable in different ways. Whether you're two peas in a pod or polar opposites, no relationships are perfect. So I asked Wayne for suggestions regarding how to maintain a healthy relationship or even how to begin a new one. Well, excellent question, Janelle. And I would say, you know, we're in such a different environment now where in the professional field, we understand the value of mentoring relationships. And now we have programs and we have the ability to do this. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's organic. Um, you certainly want to take advantage of these programs when they arrive because there is great opportunity to connect in such a way where you can have those really rewarding and fulfilling mentoring relationships. I think that, you know, I would say it's a little bit like dating uh, because it, it is. It does have some of the main tenets that dating has, which is where I think most importantly, I think up front, you want to be consistent in how you approach your communication and your expectations of their relationship. If you shift all around or if you're unclear, if you're inconsistent in how you approach it, it's going to disintegrate pretty quickly because you're both going to be frustrated and you're both going to probably feel like you're not making much progress. So I really think that one of the things that you can do to begin with is really write down a list of objectives that you hope to derive from the experience. Just be transparent right up front. I mean, you're going to get so much more value and you're going to set the tone that this is going to be genuine transparent and honest and which are critical components of a successful mentoring relationship and then i would share that with them right up front say you know these are things that i i i'm hoping that i might be able to i don't know if accomplish is the right word but where i might be able to grow through this experience uh, are these uh goals that you feel um that you might be able to help me with that you might be able to support that you might be able to contribute to it's so important, I think, to recognize and be really mindful and respectful of each other's time. And the more that you respect time, you are going to have a much better relationship. And so I think that, to me, would be a key tactic, is to share right up front those types of ideas. And then, you know, make sure that it's not that we are different people in different settings, but we may behave differently in different settings. And so I think that, you know, what you want to make sure when you're developing a mentoring relationship is that 
you represent your true self. And that means where in your work environment, you may not feel comfortable sharing where you have weaknesses or deficiencies. In a mentoring relationship, it's essential that you represent your true self, that you are authentic and honest about where you stand at this point in time. It's the only way a mentor is really going to be able to help you. And the worst thing you could do is get you know, involved in a mentoring relationship for a period of time and then suddenly reveal something that contradicted what you established as a relationship up front. Because obviously it's going to feel like a betrayal. It probably will quickly disintegrate. Even if you apologize and say you're sorry, whatever that might be, it's just really hard to come back from that. So because you're not, you are not getting married, at least I don't think so, and you're not trying to make that level of commitment, you have nothing to lose from being transparent right up front. I mean, they're going to be, that's going to be so much more refreshing, and they're going to be so much more excited to help you because they have clarity. While you may provide a list of objectives, I would also say share with them where you perceive your strengths and weaknesses to be as well. Take a few moments, like you would in any kind of relationship development setting, to talk a little bit about your past, your background, and your history. And make sure that up front, before you get into these two tactics, even before you go there, spend a few moments to share about your life. You know, obviously, there's the professional path, and that's important in its own way. You know, where do you go to school? What did you study? Where have you worked? And what roles have you had? And so forth. But make sure you take the time to go back even further. I always like it in, in interviews when I'm, when I'm meeting somebody for the first time and they're explaining to me why they want to work in a position. It's like, how did you get here? You know, from the very beginning, how did you evolve to get to this point? Where did you grow up? What were the obstacles that you faced that you surmounted to get to through high school and get through college and get to this point? We would call it journey mapping. And I think if you do a journey map with them right up front, share with them your objectives, share with them your perceived strengths and weaknesses, those three pillars, I think you've really established yourself well for experiencing a really fulfilling and rewarding relationship. But there's another part of it, too. It also helps the mentor determine whether they're a good fit for you. And, you know, and, and that's a really important element, too. The, you know, the mentor, in, especially in these programs and these types of matching opportunities, the mentor is volunteering to participate typically, maybe not always in the work environment, but, you know, oftentimes it's a volunteer opportunity. And they want to know that they're going to be able to do the most with the time that they provide and the effort that they provide in you. And the more clear and transparent and the more information you provide up front, the more they're going to understand where they fit and how to prioritize their time. Because we want, again, most important thing is to be respectful of the quality of time. And by starting off with these three pillars, I as a mentor, I can quickly start to give you strategies and tactics to contribute value to whatever your efforts might be. Wonderful. And uh, before I forget, while we are on the topic of authenticity and, and vulnerability, what would you advise someone in a mentoring relationship to do if they find themselves in a place of 
disappointment or frustration with how their mentoring relationship is going and how to approach uh, turning that around? It's mm, a really good question. I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I keep saying the same thing, which is about transparency, but it really is the, the predominant behavior that you want to have in this situation. I, I would just share with them, you know, the mentor, that this is what you're experiencing, and this is what you're feeling, and explain to them how that might be impacting you. So the reason why I do this is make it about you, not them. Because if you make it about them, you, you might as well just walk away. You Basically, you're saying it's your fault. So what I would say is always start with the I statement. You know, um, in what we discussed last week, I went back and I started thinking about it, and I, I wasn't able to take that and really uh, make it manifest in a way that would help me progress in this way. This is what I did. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So that you're making very discreet I statements, and then you open it up to them in a more generalist way to say, you know, what are your thoughts? What would you recommend? How would you address this? Um, something like that. And so what it does is you're going to get the best chance of getting back real authentic information from them. They shouldn't feel too defensive in that scenario. It depends on the person. But, you know, you have less of a chance of making them feel defensive or making them feel accused. And you have more of a chance of them kind of saying, oh, my gosh, am I not communicating this well? You know, my first reaction to that approach as a mentor would be, oh, crap. Maybe I didn't approach this in a way that would be helpful or stuff. You know, the, the thing that we have to be aware of is, Mentors tend to be experts in their field, and there's something called the expert syndrome and creativity and the theory of creativity, where you obtain such expertise that you don't have a m much internal tolerance to explain the details and the steps. And so you kind of do broad strokes and, you know, uh, you know broad messaging, and, and until the mentee or a student tells you, hey, you're skipping all the steps or I don't get it, you're not even aware of it. So I think that because you're trying to um, engage people that have, hopefully, you're trying to get people to have a lot more experience, a lot more um, skills in an area that you're trying to grow in or, you know, direct yourself in, you may come across that fallacy. And so it, it would be important not to judge. You know, you don't know if they're just biased by their own experience and talent and they're not even thinking that maybe you don't have some of those pieces already understood. So I would, I would approach it that way. I think I'm starting to get the idea, um, but is there any right or wrong way to participate in mentorship? Well, I think we touched upon it a little bit. I mean, to be inauthentic would be, you know, certainly detrimental. But I think, I think we could probably touch upon another area that I haven't really delved into, and that is humility. You know, you're in this relationship because you want to learn. You want to know something that you don't know. And so if you approach it with ego, like if you start to contest or question, overly question uh, advice and direction and so forth that you're getting from your mentor, then, you know, it's going to be frustrating and exhausting to both of you pretty quickly. So what I would say is even though your mentor may cover things that you're familiar with, I would not say, oh, I already know that. That is by far the worst thing that you can do because basically you're shutting them down. 
and they're going to be less likely to share anything. So you might think, oh, I'm trying to save them time so they don't have to worry about covering that. That's not the way a mentoring relationship works. <laughs> you know, in a mentoring relationship, it's, it's a mutual sharing. It's an exchange. And you want to let the mentor share an exchange in the way that, that best suits them, that helps them deliver the information or get to the information in such a way that they're able to express it to you in a way that they're capable of doing it. And so anything that you do to kind of put up barriers or walls, maybe it's through you know ego, maybe it's through, like I said, shutting them down by saying you already know it. Maybe you don't know it in the way that they're trying to share it with you, where you are trying to impress them. This is not the point of this. It's not about you impressing them or showing them how great you are or how far you've come. If you're in this relationship, it's because you recognize that you don't have something and you're trying to get it. So it's not about you defending your position, your ego, or your abilities. It's about you being completely humble and open, completely receptive, and this kind of target that the mentor feels that they can feel comfortable expressing knowledge and experience in the way that suits them best in a way that they are able to express, because you want something from them. So even though they may go into too much detail in a certain way that you already understood, let them do nothing ever to deter them from completing their thought process or completing their sharing, because you just don't know whether or not the true gem is at the end of the sentence. So that's what I would share on that, you know. I am so excited to hear and learn all of this from you. This is all incredibly helpful information. Instead of me asking you any more questions, what haven't I asked you? What, what do you feel is important to share? Ultimately, you can't force this relationship to be effective. You really just got to go in open and in certain ways vulnerable to whatever may come out of it. And don't be too impatient. Allow a mentoring relationship to develop. It takes time. And remember, it's a relationship. So there may be times you may be a little disappointed that what was shared wasn't completely what you wanted or didn't go in the direction that you hoped for. But remember that it's relationships take time and it's about negotiating that narrative between the two of you. And if you don't know each other, you can't expect to be doing that with harmony and with eloquence within the first, I don't know how many visits it will take. It, that's the part that is, that, is, that is unique to each relationship. But, it, but just know that it's going to take time. I would expect that it's going to take time. Have the respect of the relationship to give it that time. To allow the narrative to unfold. To be open to what it may be. One of the most critical issues that we face is that all individuals have biased or fixed thinking about what they know and don't know. And if you don't allow yourself to feel uncomfortable, to feel off your ground a bit in this relationship, you're not doing it. Because if you're going into a mentorship to affirm you and to make you feel confident that you know what you're doing, that is the wrong purpose for a mentoring relationship. That is not the reason for it. 
So there should be times when you're frustrated by what you learned, you're uncomfortable, you could even be angry, you could be upset, but you've got to get beyond where you are now. And that requires change and growth into ways and areas that are not going to be comfortable. So know that that's going to be an element of that. You should never feel disrespected. And, and, and I think that that's something to be understood. If somebody's cruel and disrespectful and dismissive to you, obviously they're not a good mentor to begin with, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't be involved. But if you feel uncomfortable about what you're learning and what you're becoming aware of and what it might mean for you, what you might have to change and do differently, then that's absolutely what you should be experiencing. If you have a mentoring relationship that's just smooth and like you're just like, hey, everything's great and everything's good and I don't have to do anything and everything's rolling along, not really a mentoring relationship. That's a social relationship. You know, your friends will always tell you what you want to hear. One of the things they talk about in networking and mentoring is that there's two elements you always have to try to avoid. Narcissism and laziness. We always are drawn towards people that like us and that are similar to us. And we typically are drawn to the people that are easiest to connect with and obtain. And what that means is that you stay in your own ecosystem, your own bubble, and that's all you ever hear. It becomes an echo chamber. You don't need a mentoring relationship for that. You already have that. You need a mentoring relationship because you want to go somewhere that you have not been before, that you want to experience and grow into a place that you are not at now. We all know that growth and development requires change, requires sacrifice, requires reassessment of ourselves, and that can be a challenging and sometimes painful experience. But if you are willing to stick with it and, and be humble and be authentic and be transparent in your mentoring relationship and give back to the mentor what you have learned, this is an essential criteria, Janelle, and I probably should have mentioned it earlier. It is so essential that you feed your mentor. It cannot always be about drawing from them. It is critical that every time that you get advice or direction from your mentor, the very next time you see them, you want to talk about what that meant or where you applied it or how you changed something or how it caused you to look at something differently. That will fuel your mentor to lean even closer to you and be even more committed and more willing to invest in you. And I think, Janelle, I, I think that's probably something that we got to continue to reiterate. It's not unilateral. It's binary. This is a two-way experience, and you both need to feel like you're being fed. And in that way, the mentor grows too. And that's ultimately what we're talking about when we talk about this relationship. Can you elaborate for a moment on, on, on how do we feed the mentor or how do we feed each other? What, what does that mean or look like? Well, so for the mentor, it's really about the mentor wants to know that you got something out of what they told you. I mean, basic bottom line. And how do you share with them that you got something out of it? You can say, oh, no, I got that. No, the way you share it is by going back and saying, hey, you know, I heard what you said and I remembered an article that I read. Can I share it with you? Or there was this TED Talk that talked about this, I, you know, that really, really uh, resonates with me and what you said about this. Would you like to, me to send that TED Talk link to you? Those are more uh, contributory feeding. The other kind of feeding is just to tell them, relate to them a story. Like, I tried what you said about this in my work environment, and this is what happened. It was so successful. Thank you so much. So it's about 
showing that you're taking what they're giving you, you're doing something with it, and then sharing that back. That's where you are able to feed and nurture the relationship to your mentor. Excellent. Going back for just a moment, I, I want to touch on something that you mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how we can try to avoid that unconscious bias and or on the positive side, you know, how we can use a relationship to, to learn and leverage difference in our lives? Well, I would say probably the best resource for that would be uh, Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. Uh, her work on the growth versus fixed mindset really shows you how if you are fixed in the way that you view your world, meaning that you have a set way of looking at things because it's comfortable for you and you don't feel any risks and you don't feel vulnerable, then you can't grow. You're going to stay on that pathway at that level and you'll continue along. You, it doesn't mean that you can't be happy. and it doesn't mean that you can't be fulfilled, but you won't grow. You won't develop if you try to uh, maintain the same way of viewing uh, how you do things or how you learn or how you grow. By allowing yourself to try things and experiment through things through your mentor's recommendations and suggestions, especially when they're not things that you're familiar with or that you're entirely comfortable with, you're breaking out of that fixed way of thinking. You're breaking away from the, the biased way that you approach things. So it's a deliberate act, Janelle. It's not passive. It's not something that just happens. You have to deliberately choose to say, I'm not going to do it that way this time. Doesn't mean that you're not going to do it that way again, but this time I'm going to do it a different way and I'm going to see what happens. And what you might find is that you don't have to divorce yourself from the prior way of, of behaving, but maybe you come up with a new way that's in the middle of the two ways that you, you know, the old way and the way that you tried, maybe what comes out of that is a transformation of a way of operating that, that's different from both, but combines the outcome of both into a new way of operating. So it's being willing to be vulnerable and to try things that you don't, you don't try or that you haven't done. I always tell people, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing it. If you don't feel a little bit uncomfortable, or, you know, people always want to avoid anxiety, but anxiety says that you're risking, that you're doing something. You know, Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, says, everything that you desire is on the other side of fear. And it's true. You've got to be willing to take some level of risk. I know we always say smart risk. I always say informed risks. You know, be informed, but try things that you don't do. If you always say, if you stay in your same sandbox, those are the only toys you ever get to play with. I want something more. And certainly in the current environment we're in, I'm sure we want to do something more than be at home. When we're all able to do things outside of this kind of setting, or maybe virtually try to do things outside of your current setting, you've got to deliberately say, I'm going to try to do things differently. Things that may feel me, make me feel uncomfortable, may cause a little bit of anxiety, but I'm willing to do it because I know that if I start to do things differently, I just expand that sandbox and I expand the number of tools that I get to work with. And I may not use them all the time and I may not, you know, some tools I try and I'm thinking, well, that's just not for me. And that's all right too. It's just as important to disqualify things that don't work as it is to qualify things 
new things that will work. So it's really a part of that experimentation that you allow yourself this opportunity to grow. I'm going to give myself a break, even though I have these super high standards and expectations of myself. I'm going to lower that for a while so that I can try certain things and I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to criticize myself over the outcome. I'm going to allow these to be learning experiences. I'm going to honor myself by giving myself that opportunity. I, I think I need to enroll in some of your classes because I, I feel like, you know, this little <laughs> podcast here isn't nearly enough to learn from the vast knowledge that you have. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I do. I love the learning space. I'm sure you could tell. Wonderful. And speaking of learning spaces, we hope you've enjoyed this topical segment on mentoring. On behalf of AASP, I am delighted to announce that our support of mentorship does not stop with this podcast episode. I just really want to share with everybody, I'm so excited to uh, uh, announce that AASP will be launching a mentoring program. We'll be uh, engaging all of, of our AASP members in the opportunity to join learn more about themselves and uh, volunteer as mentors uh, to our community uh, and our uh, profession at large. Uh, we'll also be uh, looking into exploring more opportunities to, to do podcasts like this. We really look forward to seeing you involved and engage with this amazing program. We're excited to have you on board. You've been listening to All About Supporting Philanthropy, a podcast from the Association of Advancement Services Professionals. We'd like to thank our guests for joining us today, and special thanks to Dwight Dozier for providing our theme music and Meg Padavati for producing the show. Please don't forget to rate us on iTunes and visit us at advserv.org. Thanks again for listening. Okay, I gotta go, you guys. All right. Thanks so much, Wayne. I really appreciate your time today.